Please open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You can find that on page 988 in your pew Bible. And our text this morning is, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 19 to 22, but what I'd like to do is read in context. So let's read from verse 12 through 22. Hear now God's word. I ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Lord, we turn to you now, knowing that Really, no ultimately good thing can come from a worship service, uh, a sermon, unless it is by your Holy Spirit, empowered by you, O God, to do a good work in us. It's the joy that we have in seeking your face, Lord Jesus, to see you face to face, to behold your glory. That's what we seek because that is the source of all joy that is lasting. So, Lord, I pray that we would turn our attention to you. I pray, Lord, that when distractions come up in this next little while, I pray that you would help to redirect our minds and our thoughts and our hearts towards what you would have us to hear and then how you would have us react uh, to this message. We pray in, in your precious name. Amen. Closing out his first letter to the church, the Apostle Paul offers practical, essential instructions encouraging and building up the believers to live worthy lives the calling of Jesus Christ. And so we have these final instructions packed in a very few verses. For example, uh, it says to respect your leaders, to esteem and love them. That we're to admonish the idle, encourage the disheartened, and help those among us who are struggling in their faith, and to be patient with everybody, and, and on and on, and down to today's passage a second-to-last passage uh, that we'll look at in this series before Easter, about the believer's relation to the Holy Spirit and then uh, essential application out of that. So what I'd like to do for the bulk of our time is to focus in on verse 20, the directive, do not quench the Spirit. Let's answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And what does it mean to quench the Spirit? And after answering the who and the what, our application will come from verses 21 to 22, addressing the how and the why. How, how does a believer quench the Spirit? How does a believer kindle the Spirit? And why does it matter? So for starters, who is the Holy Spirit? And, and Sue got us started very well. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, for starters, the Holy Spirit is a who, not a what. 
Because the Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity, three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so Christians don't refer to the Spirit of God as an it or as a force, but as a person, the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost is a he, and he is God. Jesus made this very clear, much clearer than I can, in John chapter 14 concerning his leaving. His disciples were scared. They were worried, hearing that Jesus was going to leave them. I thought, well, what, what are we going to do without you? He said, I will not leave you like orphans. And he said these words, fear not, my Father will give you another helper, the Spirit of truth. Verse 17 of John 14. And then down to verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance of all that I have said to you. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the Spirit of Christ. To be filled with the light of Christ who is the light of the world. To be filled with the Spirit means to be, to be satisfied, to be stuffed, to be satiated with Christ. The, the joy and the delight of being in Christ. Had a wonderful dinner last night. And usually dinner time at, at the Della Santina household usually consists of two things. A, a protein and a I don't know, a vegetable or something, just one or two things. And I looked at this great spread of food, and I counted all the different courses. There were five on my plate. So five courses with two helpings, that's ten. I was satiated. I was filled up. Now, when the word, the word quench, and, and some of your translations might say dampened in Scripture, it's speaking to suppressing fire, as, as Sue pointed out to the children. Now, some of you might be saying, Okay, Pete, I just caught you. You were saying the Spirit is a person, but now you're talking about dampening a fire. So, so which is it? Yes, the, the Holy Spirit is a person dwelling in every believer, and that relationship can be described like a fire, like a fire, a passion within us. And so we want Him to shine light that's bright and, and burn hot, metaphorically speaking, in our lives, expressing himself in our action and in our attitudes. And so that's how we speak of the Spirit, like a fire, like Pentecost, the Spirit coming down on the first disciples. Now let me say this. No one, no one is a genuine Christian unless the Holy Spirit lives in them. Let me say that another way. It is impossible to be a genuine Christian, born again, unless the Spirit lives inside of you. If anybody says that you can be a Christian without the Holy Spirit, they are lying to you, plain and simple. Romans 8, 8 and 9, those who are in the flesh, that is those who are, who are unsaved, who, who don't know Jesus, who have not been born again, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, aren't in the flesh in that old way of life. You are in the Spirit if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who doesn't have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. 
the clear teaching of Scripture. And then at, at the end of 1 Corinthians 6, uh, imploring believers to flee sexual immorality, to, to understand that, that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Listen, verse 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God. And, and that word of, of temple, that was the holy of holies, that you are now the dwelling place, the Holy Spirit. And you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Because a believer's body now is like a, a tent, is a tabernacle, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you heard the gospel claims about Jesus of Nazareth, and you confessed your dire need to be saved from your sin, and, and you turned in repentance and faith and, and asked him to forgive you and conform you to his image, the Spirit of God came to live inside of you. There was a divine transaction that occurred. The Bible says that now the Holy Spirit has moved into your house. It's a house guest that's never going to move out. The Spirit is a seal, a guarantee of the believer's destiny. And so we tossed around the word sanctification, uh, being sanctified, being made holy, being made like Christ. That happens when the words of Jesus are obeyed and when the Spirit is aflame in our heart and in our lives. So then, if that's all true, I hope you're tracking with me, what does it mean to, to quench the fire of the Spirit in our lives. Well, when a believer doesn't allow the Spirit to be seen in our actions or in our affections, when we do wrong, when we do what we know we ought not do, we quench the Spirit. We, we throw a little fire, or a little water on the fire. But that idea of quenching is still somehow incomplete. It still gets to this idea of uh, of, of a chemical reaction or things that are happening in the elements. And so I think a more helpful way of getting at what it means to be quenching the Spirit, we need to look at a parallel verse in Ephesians chapter 4, which says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There's a, there's a different connotation there, but there's a direct correlation between quenching and grieving the Spirit of God. Only a person can be grieved. Fire and wind doesn't, doesn't have any feelings, right? Fire can't feel anything, but a person can feel. A person can feel joy and pride, and a person can feel sorrow and grief. And once you understand this, you can better understand how the Holy Spirit can be grieved in a believer's life. In any relationship, at least a healthy relationship, you have an effect on the other person and vice versa, right? In a healthy relationship, it goes both ways. You can feel joy as well as disappointment. In a romantic relationship, you can experience passion. And what's the opposite of passion? Indifference, lack of interest. You're sitting there next to your, your, your spouse and they're just flipping the channels. And you're like, 
I remember when we used to have candlelight dinner and what? The thrill is gone, B.B. King, right? It's related. Because, because the Father loved us so much, He sent His Son who willingly died for our sins, and Jesus loved us so much that He sent His Holy Spirit to fill our lives. And the Spirit is there to feel in our lives. God didn't need us, but He said, no, I want you, and so I'm going to be with you wherever you go, He goes. Whatever you watch on TV, He sees. He knows your actions and your attitudes. And the question for us always is, is there passion in this relationship or indifference? We need to think first and foremost in terms of an intimate relationship, not in religious terms. Religious terms can get us only so far, but we start talking about uh, laws, and we start talking about rules, and we start talking about only do's and don'ts, and not about love. When a child breaks the rules and, and lies to their parents, which is worse? So uh, a child says, I'm going to go to the movies with my friends, and you're at home, and you check your phone, and you can see my child is not at the Regal Cinema. My child is someplace way out in Damascus. And you call that cell phone and you say, where are you right now? And they say, I'm at Frozen. I'm, wa- I'm watching the, there's a, 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 I don't know, snowflakes on the screen. Okay, it's not there anymore, thanks. Which is worse, that, that the child lied to the parent? Or that the, that the, or the, the rules were broken in the lying? No, no, what hurts more is the relationship, the trust. That's what hurts a parent. The same in marriage. If a husband violates the bonds of marriage, it's an offense against a covenant of marriage in a legal sense, absolutely, but far more painful and damaging than the legality of the offense is the offense against love. We teach our sons and daughters that healthy dating or courting relationships are built on trust and respect, that if you're being respected in a relationship, Uh, that there should be trust with the other person, they should trust you. But if you're being ignored and lied to or taken advantage of or taken for granted or cheated on, that that relationship is dysfunctional. It's unhealthy. We'll stay up all night with our sophomore uh, student in college and hear all the pain and and say, you've got to get out of that relationship or you've got to get right in that relationship. This is like the relationship we have with God. How could it be that we disrespect, take for granted, and even just in our our heart of hearts, cheat on the Spirit? That's what we're, we're getting at. Our every action, every thought, every attitude is known to Him. He's with us in all of it. He's Speaking to you all the time, are you listening? Or are you tuning him out? Like the spouse just clicking away. I don't care what you have to say. I've heard enough. Now some of us here, maybe at least one person, I don't know, I can't see with the blurring lights in my eyes. Somebody's probably thinking, Pete has gone off the deep end. What is he talking about? Is he talking about... He's talking about romantic relationships. He's talking about 
what is going on? I don't understand. It could be that my delivery is lame. That often happens, and I've lost you. Could it also be that you don't feel what I'm expressing through my words, what it means to grieve, to risk in relationship with God, because you don't have the Spirit's fire in your life? Say, this, this whole concept that he's talking about, he keeps talking with his hands, he's talking about relationships, I don't get it. It could be that the fire is burning very low in your life. It could be that you don't have the Spirit of God in you. John 14, 17, Jesus says, the world cannot accept him because it cannot see or know him. You may be a very religious person, but if you don't know what it means to quench or to grieve the Spirit, then you have never been open to the Spirit. When you open yourself to the Spirit of God, when you take that risk, when you go in this crazy journey of life, He comes in and He's with you. The non-Christian can resist the Spirit of God. Only the believer can grieve the Spirit of God. Only the believer can do that. And so we're talking about, in the context of an intimate relationship. And that's where we get to the application. The application. Paul's giving final instructions. He's warning believers, do not quench the Spirit. So how do we quench the Spirit? Or how do we kindle the Spirit? And and why does it matter? Verse 20, do not despise prophecy. Or do not treat prophecy, the, the Word of God, with contempt. We no longer have prophets. The canon of Scripture, all 66 Books of the Bible are are closed and complete. They're all we need. The point is you can royally mess up your relationship with the Spirit by violating God's will and His ways clearly laid out in the Word. We grieve the Spirit when we live like unbelievers, like when we live as uh, technically or, or ostensibly like atheists. Like God's there on Sunday, but the rest of the week I'm out here on my own. When we lie and steal and cheat and curse, when we harbor bitterness and an unforgiving spirit, when we entertain our sexual impulses in an inappropriate way, those are all ways that we say, it says it there, but I'm going to do my own thing. It's all the ways that we may act or have an attitude that goes against our core values, but, but more than core values, more than against what we teach at church, It goes against your relationship with God. Paul's writing here to a church that is turning from the clear teachings of Scripture, or clear teachings of the church. The Scriptures hadn't been written yet, but the clear teachings. And so people were becoming idle. They were losing faith. They were becoming weak in their faith. Church relationships were breaking down. Why does this matter? It matters because if we give up listening to wise in the faith, brothers and sisters, learning from others, we lose a sense of connection to the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. You say, yeah, I've got this problem. I'm just going to figure it out on my own. That grieves the spirit. He's put you in relationship with the person you're sitting next to, behind you, in front of you, in this church, to help you. Second, we 
quench the, the, the fire when we don't test everything. When you just uh, let everything in, whatever's on TV, whatever's on your computer screen, or whatever you hear out there without testing, is this found in the Bible? That grieves the Spirit. The Spirit never abandons the believer, but we have to be careful to test things we expose ourselves and our families to. Why does that matter? It matters because if you do not test everything, you're bound to let some cocky, many, ridiculous stuff in. And I don't care if it's a bestseller author. I don't care if all of your friends love that inspirational speaker. I don't care if you've heard on the front page of the news, God's doing this brand new thing. We've got this special secret information. You will lose a sense of joy in your salvation. Jesus is all we need. His word, his living word is enough. And so look to him and then all the new things that come, test it. Is this of you, God? Is this a new thing you're doing? Or is this something very, very old and trite? Third, we quench the Spirit when we don't hold fast what is good. Oh, this is big. We, we can dampen the Spirit and lose a deep sense of assurance of faith. That's why it matters. To hold fast what is good is to rehearse in your mind the promises of the gospel and the character of God. God, you have won my salvation. He is faithful. He is steadfast. Last night, we were heading home from a wonderful dinner, cruising down 27. It was pouring rain. It was crazy. Cheryl checks her voicemail. Dear, dear friend, who this week is marking the first anniversary of her husband's passing. They fell in love when they were teenagers, been together for almost 30 years, and she's completely alone. And the message was, I, I feel like I'm under spiritual attack. I feel like I'm losing my faith. Cheryl calls back, gets the voicemail. What does she say? It's going to be all right, honey? No. She says, Let me, I'm, she's, I'm going to just speak God's word to her in, in love to remind her of the salvation won for her, the victory in Christ, that I'm here for you. She started quoting scripture and encouraging her friend. That's what we need. I want you, when you leave Church, every Sunday, every Sunday, to be assured of your salvation, to be strong in the Lord with the peace of Christ that passes understanding. But if you are double-minded, if you're tossed back and forth and swayed by the world's point of view and the world's priorities, why does this matter? It matters because you will lose a sense of assurance. Only the Spirit is able to help you Get where you, where you need to go and give you a true confidence that you will finally reach your destination. Fourth and finally, we quench the Spirit when we do not abstain from every form of evil. Of course, we have to avoid things that are outright evil and bad for us, but we're not talking about religion. We're talking about a relationship. And I want to leave you with a final thought that's something a bit more subtle. Think about the best way to flourish in your relationship with Jesus. When you don't fill your life with things that fill your heart with love for Jesus, that is a form of evil. If you do not pay attention to keep away from things that, that drain your love and your affection for Jesus, even things that are morally neutral, your love for sports, your love of gardening, 
But if you care about those things too much, that will drain your love and your affections and the zeal you are meant to have for the Lord. Why does that matter? It matters because our joy is found in Jesus Christ and in the pursuit of him. Avoid things that will take you in the wrong direction. Head into the deep current of the stream that leads out to the river, that leads you out into the ocean of God's love. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we cannot do anything worthwhile, truly worthwhile, without your help. So, Lord, enable us to hear these words and to hear from you, most of all, Lord, of why it matters to stay connected, to celebrate the joy of our salvation, the assurance of our faith, the love we have in Jesus. And enable us, Lord, to respond to your word this week in the ways that we go about our daily lives. And Lord, we pray this all in the precious, strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I invite you to open your hymnal and let's just sit back. Don't stand. Let's just remain seated and let's sing Breathe on Me, Breath of God, hymn number 316.